Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking it out at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Kate Donovan. She's a burnout coach, a podcast host, and a keynote speaker. It's her beginnings that I really find fascinating, though. Kate's journey is exactly what this podcast has come to symbolize. Just because you start off in a certain place doesn't mean that's where you have to continue going. She was a pre-med, she was a pre-med major originally, but left that and eventually became an acupuncturist. Not only is she into podcasts and burnout, she's also into sticking needles in people's body for money. I'm so interested <laughs> to learn more about her decision to leave pre-med and pursue acupuncture, her motivation for focusing on burnout, and the purpose behind her podcast. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Kate. That was the most fun intro I think I've ever had, Neil. Thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. So from what I mentioned in the, in the intro that you were a pre-med major at one point. What was the motivation to, to do that? So I told my grandmother when I was three that I was going to be a doctor. I always thought I was going to be a doctor. That was always the goal in high school. I focused on, you know, AP bio, AP chem, all of this sort of world. I got a scholarship to Boston University um, for majoring in biology on a pre-med track. And yeah, it didn't turn out the way I expected. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, you know, things kind of work out that way sometimes. So what you, what'd you have to tell your grandmother? Um, nothing. They were totally cool with acupuncture. They were really into it. My grandmother had used acupuncture when she had a really severe bout of rheumatoid arthritis um, earlier in her life. And acupuncture was one of the things that saved her. So my pet, my grandparents were like, cool, awesome, do it. So that wasn't really a, a big problem for them, thankfully. Okay, that's wonderful. As long as grandma's happy, everybody should be happy. Exactly. So when you left, so then you have to leave, well, you left the pre-med program and then yeah. did you go into acupuncture right away or was there some sort of a break where you were trying to find, figure out what you wanted to do next? I went into it right away. So I did a, in my sophomore year of college, still at BU, I did a course on the sociology of medical school as a as an elective. And it horrified me. And I was like, wow, you expect us to like basically kill ourselves before we become doctors and then be in right mind enough to help people heal what with a quarter of a million dollars of student loans sitting on our backs and then malpractice insurance on top of that. I did not come from a family that was going to be able to pay for me to go to college or med school. So I knew I wasn't getting out of it without that extra weight. And I thought, so I'm going to, I'm supposed to work 80 to hundred hours a week, become that very, very in debt. And then I'm supposed to be the person that helps people heal. Something's not right about this process. At the time I was taking a master's level course in meditation. I don't know why they let me take it as a sophomore, but they did. My minor was Eastern religion. So my major was biology on a pre-med track. My minor was Eastern religion. And I went to my professor of that class, who is Livia Cohn, who is one of the world's foremost scholars of Taoism. And I said, Livia, I've planned on being a doctor my whole entire life. So if this isn't it, like, what do I do instead? She said, we'll do Chinese medicine. And I said, 
the hell is that? <laughs> and that started the journey. So I started reading about it. It really clicked with me. There was a lot of things about Chinese medicine that made the world make more sense to me. It was, I was quite the neophyte. It was almost like being converted into a religion. I was like, why doesn't the world know how powerful Chinese medicine can be? Um, and I, so I left Boston and that program to start and master's degree in acupuncture, you only have to have two years of school finished. So I finished out my sophomore year and because it's a four-year program, moved to California and did my four-year acupuncture program. Wow. That's a pretty interesting story. So you're saying that if you had never taken that that master's level or that the class in, in, in the, 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 I guess the history of, of medicine. Yeah. Sociology you, of medical school. So, yep. Sociology of medical school. That's right. Yep. And you would have potentially still become a doctor possibly yes oh wow interesting <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, funny, it's funny how life works out sometimes and then you take this master's level class as a sophomore and when in the and the, the professor in that class is the one that suggested acupuncture you look more into it and say okay so much for western medicine we're going to the east yep. <laughs> okay and then you move to the west coast <laughs> <laughs> just to mess things up a little <laughs> so i'm well i guess you, you can't really compare the two but what is the curriculum like for, to get, a, a, I guess, a degree in acupuncture? So the acupuncture master's is about four years long, and it is about 25 to 30% Western medicine. So it's learning red flags, knowing when to refer out, making sure that you're not missing, like somebody comes in and says they have chest pain and you're not like, sure, let's just do an acupuncture treatment when you really need to be sending them to the hospital. All right. So we have a huge amount of actual Western medicine training, which was great for me because it allowed me to still keep one toe in those waters and use the knowledge that I had already gained. You know, a lot of people struggled with the science part of the acupuncture degree, and that was the easy part for me. So that was fun. And then the remainder of it is broken up into learning how to find and use the points, right? Because there's a lot of acupuncture points and learning how their combinations work together, things like that. Another section is Chinese herbs. So how to be an herbalist according to the Chinese traditions. So there's a lot of theory, a lot of learning herb names, a lot of memorization for that. Um, and then we have our practicum. So in order to sit for national board exams to be an acupuncturist, when I graduated, you had to have at least 375 patients treated under the guise of a supervisor. So you, that's our, our internship is, that's our minimum for our internship. So then at the end, you have to sit for boards, just like anybody else has to sit for boards to get licensed. Oh, okay. It's, okay. So it's, out of curiosity, is there, I mean, you know, when you become a, a medical doctor, you have, you have to sit through boards and, and you have to do the residency and you have to, yeah. you know, all of that, you know, people I, I think are more, I guess, uh, accustomed to, but when you're becoming an acupuncturist, what, what, do, what, do, what do people call you? Are you a doctor? Are you a... So a, we finish with a master's degree, typically, although since I've finished school, so I finished school in 2007, they have added, added another year and a half, which can lend to a doctorate. So some people will finish and be doctor, whoever, but the typical title when I graduated was simply licensed acupuncturist, L.A.C., licensed acupuncturist, or diplomat of Chinese medicine. Okay. And, you know, with, with the MD, you can pretty much go from whatever to whatever state you want and work as an MD. Is, does it work that way in, in acupuncture as well? No. So we have a national board that is required for most states. And 
but not every state requires it. And some states also require additional testing. So we can't just go from place to place. We can apply for licensure in most states once we have the national boards done, just simply not all. Oh, okay. Well, that, that kind of complicates things. So then, then do you have to kind of figure out if I want to move to this particular part of the country, are they going to recognize what, you know, what yes. I've done already? Okay. Well, yes. Uh, I got kind of stinks. <laughs> but I guess where you are, it's not a problem. They don't make it easy. And where I am actually is a problem right now because my process was two years of undergrad and then four years of a master's. I did not get a bachelor's degree along the way. Right. So I just went straight through to a master's and New Jersey, in order to be able to practice acupuncture in New Jersey, they require a bachelor's degree. It can be in accounting. They don't care, but they require a bachelor's degree. So I can't actually practice in the state that I live in right now, but I do have licenses in New York and Connecticut. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. I wonder why they have that particular requirement. Who know? I mean, I don't know how much better it would be. I have 15 years of experience. I've taught acupuncture all over the world. I've lived all over Europe. I've practiced everywhere, but you know, that's their rule. So I'm actually in, I, I'm not practicing at the moment at all because my coaching and speaking is what I'm doing all the time right now. So, but I am doing another bachelor's degree right now in order to just in case should I desire to practice in this state that I will have the required recommendation so currently I'm doing a, a bachelor's degree in biobehavioral health oh wow that's okay mm -hmm. that's interesting so you know I also mentioned in the intro that you're a burnout coach I mm -hmm. hear this word a lot burnout what yeah. is burnout and as a burnout coach how do you help people so burnout According to the World Health Organization and the research that's been done by Dr. Christina Maslach et al., you know, there's a few other people in there, but burnout consists of three components. The first one is physical and mental exhaustion. The second one is uh, cynicism and detachment. And the third one is a lack of e efficacy or a lack of productivity or a lack of feeling accomplished in your work. And it is these elements are especially tied to in the current definition, tied to your occupation, your job, your work, your career. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be true as we learn more about burnout, but that's where it stands right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I was actually just speaking to a friend about it yesterday in, mm -hmm. in, in, preparation for this call, I, I mentioned that I was going to be speaking with a burnout coach. And one of the questions I was going to ask her is what burnout is. And he was saying that it could be as simple as I just don't feel like doing something today. No, absolutely not. So there are those three components that must be present in order for us to say that someone is burnt out. Okay. Gotcha. And it is actually a serious sort of measurable thing. Like when you are in a space of chronic stress for an extended period of time, your amygdala, that little that limbic system, that part of your brain that reacts to threat gets enlarged. So it gets bigger and more sensitive to threat. So you start and you're easily triggered. It's um, puts you sort of at, on edge all the time. And your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that sits just behind your forehead, who's, that is responsible for your ability to adult decreases in size. So we lose some brain cells in that part of our brain. So we have a harder time adulting, a harder time with focus and motivation and connection, while at the same time being hyper responsive and hyper reactive to emotional states and states of safety and or lack thereof. Okay. Where did this interest in burnout come from? 
So it was really funny because I avoided going to med school because I, I didn't call it burnout at the time, but I was looking at what it was going to cost me. And I thought, I'm not going to be healthy enough to help people. So I left the track of being in med school to avoid burnout all those years ago. And I still ended up burning out as an acupuncturist. I was very successful. Um, I had practices in Warsaw and in Prague. I was very busy. I was making good money. I had everything that I ever, had ever wanted on paper, but I was exhausted. I was very cynical. I didn't feel like my work had any value. And I sort of started this, my health started breaking down. So my thyroid went off. I gained weight. I couldn't exercise. I was it, just, everything sort of fell apart. And when I started going through the recovery process, when I finally realized what it was, I read an article about burnout and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is it. I read through, I did what I do as geeks do. I read through the research, right? So I read through all the research and I didn't find myself in the research. The research was on doctors, nurses, and corporate workers. And here I was a female entrepreneur as a healthcare provider, but I wasn't in a system that was breaking me down. So what the heck was going on? So I had to do a little bit of my own research, dig into my own life, go through my own healing. And that's when I started working with other people. Okay. That's, that's so interesting. So if you don't have all three of those things, I think I wrote them down, physical and mental exhaustion, cynicism, and lack of efficacy or productivity, then that's not burnout. You it's just not have, burnout. Okay. You could have two of the three, but if you, get, if you don't have that third one, it's, it's something else. Yes. <laughs> okay. And it so, could be depression. It could be, you know, you could have anemia. Like it could, there's a million things that it could be, but it's not burnout if it doesn't hold those three components. Oh, okay. What is the typical, I guess, I mean, once you've been, once you people figure, once it's been figured out that you have burnout, what is the, I guess, the solution to, to dealing with it? So it really depends. When I start working with people, I have them fill out this chart. That's internal versus external causes of burnout, because some of the reasons that we burn out are our own internal stuff, the way we view the world, different mindset issues, things like this. That was true for me, for instance. I thought that unless I was adding extra value to everyone's life around me all the time, it meant that I was worthless, right? So I didn't understand that I had value just as a human, just because I existed. That was a, that was a tough one for me. But there are also external causes of burnout. If you have a boss that micromanages you, if you work at a place that doesn't share the same values as you want in your life, if you are underpaid and overworked, if there is a lack of fairness, if the pay gap issues, racism issues, homophobism issues, all of these things can add to burnout. So how you're treated in the world matters as well. Oh, interesting. Well, so first you have to figure out what's going on. Okay. So you're saying that even outside of your workplace, that there could be factors that are contributing to your burnout. A hundred percent. Oh, wow. And that's, that's unfortunate because at least if you, if it was just, you know, within the workplace and that was causing the burnout, you could change jobs. But if it's outside the workplace, I mean, what, what can you really do? Yeah. So when you are, if it is from within the workplace, still, there's going to be some internal factors that are involved with just you. So if it's in the workplace and there you can change it, sometimes you can influence it. Your first step is to have the conversation with your HR, with your boss, with whoever, and say, Hey, listen, this is not working for me. I can't do it like this. This is not appropriate, whatever it happens to be. I have had clients finally get the gall to speak up and their entire workplace has shifted thanks to the fact that somebody spoke up and everybody 
later is like, oh my God, thank you. We thought that we were all being crazy and thinking it was too much, but we weren't like it was too much and now it's better. So sometimes the answer is speak up. If you've spoken up and no changes are being made and no one is doing anything to help protect you, you have got to get out of that job, right? You, you've got to go. That's one thing. But then finding a new place requires you to understand what kind of safety you need and what kind of resources you need in order to avoid going down that road again. So you need to know what, what the problems were. And if because we spend so much time at work, the way that you're treated in the workplace really does make a huge difference. And how you're treated outside of the workplace, like I said, also matters. But first, we focus on what can we do within here. Right. Yeah. I mean, the things that you can control, I'm sure that has to be first and, and foremost, because all the other stuff, I mean, you don't really have any control over it. So you just kind of have to manage it as best as you can. Right. I, I can I can certainly see that. So which is easier to do when you have more energy because you're not being crushed on every front all the time. You know? Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Is there has the, your work as an acupuncturist informed your work as a burnout coach in any way? And if so, how? 100%. Acupuncture, when we learn Chinese medicine, we are basically stress management experts by the time we finish because Chinese medicine is a multiple thousand year old study of how different stressors affect the body. Emotional stressors, physical stressors, pathogenic stressors, weather stressors, any way that our homeostasis can be sort of thrown out of whack. Chinese medicine has talked about it through the years. So Knowing that there's always a balance, like the, the basis of all of Chinese medicine is the Tai Chi symbol, that black and white yin yang symbol that people call it. Mm -hmm. That's the basis of everything in Chinese medicine. And so that concept, the concept of paradox, the concept of one thing overflowing to becoming the other, the concept of one thing always have this having the seed of the other within it, this sort of series of ideas that's attached to the Tai Chi symbol really makes a big difference in my work. Because if I see somebody going really, really far into anger and resentment, for instance, I'm not going to tell them to start doing gratitude because it's so far away from where they are that it's not going to help balance things out. I'm going to help them dive into the anger and resentment so that it can naturally transform into the next thing. Right. So that has it, my Chinese medicine background has, has um, guided a ton of what I do on a day to day basis now. Cool. So when you working as a, a burnout coach, how long do people typically work with you? I work with people in three month spurts. And then typically what I do is once someone's been a client of mine, they get a special access code where they can book a call with me for a reduced rate anytime in the future. And usually people check in once every four to six weeks over the course of the next year or so, just to sort of keep themselves on track. Like, so I get in there and for three months, we really work at it. And then I say, okay, you're good. Go off into your little world, practice some things. And every once in a while, when you really need something, come back in and we'll, we'll adjust whatever is needed. Got it. So, you know, I also mentioned in the, in the intro that you're a keynote speaker. It's like, Okay, yeah. what, what do you not do? You do a bunch of stuff. So I do. So, I do. So as a as a keynote speaker, is be, at least becoming a speaker even from the from the beginning. Is that something you've always been good at public speaking? And if not, what did you do to get better at it? I was always good at public speaking. I was always a very talkative person. I won uh, in one in my eighth grade yearbook. I got 
called out as being the most talkative in my class. So this being in front of people and speaking was not a very uncomfortable thing for me, but becoming a keynote speaker and really refining your speeches is a different thing. And that for me has been um, about a, a good, I'm sure I'm not to my peak yet. You know, I'm still learning, but the past three years have been a lot of practice in as many scenarios as I could find where I found certain sentences, certain cadence and certain tone that works for most of the people that I'm trying to reach. And then you practice, you practice staying in that cadence, staying in that tone, staying in that energy so that you can reach the people that, that you're meant to reach. But it's really just a lot of practice. Got it. So what do you typically speak on? So I speak on burnout really frequently. Um, one of my biggest keynotes is called resentment is your superpower. So that goes into the idea of like actually using these difficult emotions as tools to get what we need out of life. And that's a really popular one. People love it because the title's a little, you know, counterintuitive and things like that. So that that's a really fun one. But really often I'll go into corporations and do sort of workshops on burnout 101, here are the external causes, here are the internal causes, here are what the organization needs to work on in order to reduce the amount of burnout in the organization. And everybody needs to do that right now, everyone, right? And people, they're losing employees, which is very expensive. So every time they lose an employee, it costs them 2.5 times that employee's salary to bring in another person. It's extremely costly. So what they need to do to create a more burnout safe scenario. And then we go into the employee side and say, here's what you can do to protect yourself better. Here's how you can speak up. Here's how you state boundaries to get them heard. Here's, you know, these other coping techniques. Got you. So with the work that you do with corporations, you go, you go in there and you, you tell them the various things that could help in, in decreasing burnout of the employees. Is there any way for you to, well, I don't know, I don't know if insure is the right word, but make sure that these things are actually being implemented? It depends on how long I'm hired for. So if they're hiring me for a workshop, I go in, I have the workshop, that's it. If they're hiring me for consulting afterwards and follow-up, then we can follow that up. And most of the times what we end up finding is that there's one or two people in managerial positions that really shouldn't be there. And once we take out these couple of bad apples, the whole environment really changes. We create burnout in, within a culture. So we need to heal burnout within a culture. Oh, wow. So are you the person that actually goes and tells the people in the, the higher ups, these people need to go? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm sure them, those people like you. It's like, well, I mean, me, let me bring her in for it. <laughs> and some, sometimes we can work on it. Sometimes there's something that they're not aware of that can be worked on. But a lot of times we get to the point where their behavior has been brought up multiple times by multiple people over the years. And we're just beyond the point now. It's like, we just can't accept this. And we need to show people that we're fighting for them and that we're trying to create a psychologically safe environment for them. Yeah, I, I fully agree. When it comes to the presentations that you do, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? So for me, I write things out. I, I do a brain dump first. So I just write out everything that I'm thinking on a particular topic, let it all out. And then I try to pull it into a PowerPoint to make sure it makes some sort of sense. Once the PowerPoint outline is done, I do it out loud in front of a camera recording myself to see, does this work? Does this flow? If I was listening, what question would I have? Should I include that answer now? 
instead of waiting. So I basically record myself, watch myself and see where the holes might be that need to be filled in. And then I go back to the PowerPoint. I fill in those holes. I record myself again <laughs> and over and over until I have something that I feel like is like really solid. Got it. I also mentioned in the intro that you have a podcast. What's your podcast about and, and what do you hope people get from it? My podcast is called Fried the Burnout Podcast. And so it's all about burnout, the internal, the external. We have two different types of episodes. Half of them are hashtag straight from Kate episodes. So they're my tips and tricks that you can put into implementation right away. And half of them are with a guest, their burnout story, how they recovered, what it meant to them, what they learned. My goal with Fried, there's two big things. Well, the mission is to end burnout culture to convince enough people to heal that burnout culture is not a thing anymore. But the goal is that during every single episode, people listening have at least one moment where they feel seen, heard, validated, or less alone, which sparks a moment of healing for them. If, the, if I can get a spark of healing in each of my listeners every week, then I am thrilled. Nice. Well, this has been really cool talking to you, Kate. Thank you for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? The best place is to get to the podcast. In the show notes is where all my info is, and that's where all the best info is anywhere. So finding the podcast wherever you listen is, is definitely the best way to get to me. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the host or the founder of Teach the Geek. I'm the host of this podcast. I do a bunch of things, but those are the two things I want to talk about right now. You can find out more about Teach the Geek at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms or on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com until next time